0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the RBR Recap presented by Round by Round Boxing and Rx Water. Welcome back to the RBR Recap Episode 3. I'm Alex Burgos joined by Gabe Brevis. Gabe, how are you, sir? Doing well, recovering from my... Trip to Arizona, but we're back at home
1: and uh, we're ready.
0: Yeah. What I was saying, the most exciting fight of the night was that Bam Rodriguez fight. You were ringside as he took on uh, Carlos Cuadras. And in that fight, he put on a real clinical display to win that vacant WBC World Super Flyweight title. Cuadras being the ex champion. Um, this is really interesting going into the fight because, as many people know, Rodriguez being the late replacement was actually the betting favorite. And so, kind of kind of caught a lot of people's eyes, but the ones that had seen um, Rodriguez before and really knew what his style was and, you know, what he's about. And it seems like the the ceiling is just you know, endless for this guy, he really put that on display and showed um, that he's got a lot of promise. And so he ended up knocking Quadras down in the fight and won a unanimous decision by scores of 117 to 110 twice, and then 115 to 112 on the other card. I want to jump right in with your opinion on not only his performance, but what not an overreaction is uh, of the night based on that fight. So first of all, the
1: original main event was going to be Jesse Vargas versus Liam Smith. As we all know, that got postponed because Jesse tested positive for COVID. The new main event was Carlos Quadras versus Rungvisai, which is the co-main event before. And then on Sunday or Saturday, the week before the fight, Rungvisai has to pull out due to an illness. Quadras, I believe, arrived to Phoenix on Sunday still thinking that room beside was his opponent, but then he was told that he had to pull out and then they found a replacement, which is Jesse Rodriguez from the co-main event. So a week before the fight, they had different opponents. Jesse was uh, asked if he wanted to have this opportunity and he didn't even hesitate in taking it. And so that demonstrates the confidence he had in able to face a former world champion, a veteran in Quadras, 33 years old, who had been uh, in many wars. And so if you have been following boxing for a long time, if you have been following amateur boxing, you'll know who Jesse Rodriguez is. Not only is he the brother of Joshua Franco, but he's been under the tutelage of Robert Garcia for quite some time. You may have even seen videos of him of stopping young fighters in the amateurs or maybe even in sparring um, in the on the Internet. And so little by little, he started to develop a following and he's, he's had opportunities of fighting on top rank cards and on matchroom cards. He has a co-promotional deal uh, with taking promotions and matchroom now. And so um, it, it has been a kind of well-kept secret until now, until he was given um, this opportunity and so a week before the fight, he gets the chance to move up two divisions, which is seven pounds, because he was originally fighting at 108 pounds. He had never gone past eight rounds before. He had never even fought for a regional title. So he really was thrown in uh, with the wolves to see, you know, what he's made of. Robert Garcia, before the fight, said, look, I know what he's capable of. I know what he's made of. I've seen what he done has done in the gym, because obviously he couldn't have seen Um, you know, his capabilities in the ring because he had never gone past eight rounds or fought for a regional belt. And so they threw him in there. And in the fight, he demonstrated aggression, confidence, Counting, counter-punching footwork. He himself says that he's a student of Lomachenko in the, in the way that he's able to change angles, step to the right. And so he demonstrated the will and the courage of a guy, like you said, who has a ceiling that really is, is endless. We, you know, He is a talent that um, I think has a lot of future and can really travel um, up and around his weight class. Uh, and so I guess one overreaction that isn't an overreaction is the fact that Jesse Rodriguez is the big deal. He is a young prodigy. People have been saying it uh, for, for, for quite some time. And on Saturday, he was able to demonstrate that. And I was able to catch up with him after his uh, after winning the WBC super Superflyweight Champion, talked to him a little bit about um, what his plans are for the future. Now, he says he's willing to stay at 115 pounds if there are opportunities there, but he's also willing to go down to 108 or uh, 112 if there are opportunities there. Now, being with Mantrum Boxing, there is an upcoming fight that's very big, and that's Roman Chacaletito Gonzalez versus Julio Cesar Martinez. And he, he did say that he's willing to fight the winner of that fight in March, and that would be a really... Um, exciting fight whoever wins that bout and then also there's room Visa. i mean there's a lot of talent between 108 115 pounds between those three divisions that jesse rodriguez could face so it'll be interesting to see what happens within the next few years
0: um, with jesse rodriguez i think one of the things that stood out to me the most is he is not just a plotter you know we've seen that um from a lot of different young guys that are you know go in there and they're like hey i can take your best punch He was more focused and more interested in showing his dynamics of angles, um, speed, counter punching. I mean, you mentioned Lomachenko. You could see a little bit of that. And it's funny because his amateur pedigree, um, you see guys like online, uh, Shakur Stevenson, I think Devin Haney spoke ringside. They know him from the amateurs and they know he has skills. You know, even those that had been following and maybe seen him fight before, like you said, he hadn't gone past eight rounds. So we really hadn't seen the full gamut of what he's capable of against a higher level opponent like Carlos Cuadras. I thought it was super impressive. The fact that he just took the fight on one week notice, came up in weight, And now there's so many options. Uh, Super interesting to even think that he could potentially face that Gonzalez uh, Martinez winner already. You know what I mean? He's so young.
1: Absolutely. And like you mentioned, all these people who have known him from the amateur, like I said, it was one of boxing's best kept secrets. Mm -hmm. Only if you were within amateur boxing or closely following him, Uh, following boxing, would you know who Jesse Rodriguez is? And then also there are a lot of interesting similarities Oh, and interesting um, uh, themes going into the fight. One of them being that his brother is Joshua Franco, also trained by Robert Garcia, also the WBA regular champion at 115 pounds. You don't see that a lot in boxing. You obviously have the Charlos, who are twin brothers and other brothers who have been champions at the same time as well. So that's very interesting. Another interesting thing is that he's part of the Robert Garcia Academy. And he had a lot of similarities going into this fight as Fernando Vargas. Fernando Vargas, when he was 21 years old, he was 14 and 0. He fought for his fourth world title against a, uh, a Mexican warrior in Yuriboy campus, and he was able to become a champion that day. Same thing with Jesse Rodriguez. Not 21. He was 22 years old, but uh, um, he was 14 and 0, fought a Mexican warrior to become a, a world champion. And also... I mean, we have to mention this is that uh, Fernando Vargas was trained by Eduardo Garcia, who, as we know, is the patriarch um, and the big G G at the Robert Garcia Academy. And Jesse Rodriguez had his son, obviously, um, Robert Garcia, as the head trainer. But of course, Big G was also um, ringside to watch the fight and celebrate with him as well. So a lot of interesting dynamics
0: going on with this fight. Bam Rodriguez, man, he's one of these guys. You know, a lot of times you'll see when one guy has a good performance. You know, "star is born," Eddie Hearn said it. But I really think that it fits. Um, that headline fits this guy based off of last night. Super excited to see what he does in the future, and um, should be should be fun to talk about and watch. Also, what we had last night were a couple other fights, and we'll jump right into uh, what I think is the biggest overreaction based off of this fight. And so we had Clarissa Shields taking on Emma Cozen in the co-main event of that Sky Sports uh, boxer card that was headlined by Chris Eubank and Liam Williams. And in that Shields fight, which has become the, you know, the norm now, she dominated. She won by unanimous decision, did not lose a round, 100 to 90, uh, three times across the board. Now, I, I think maybe the last time she lost a round um, was maybe the hammer fight. Um, and then before that, Hannah Gabriel's, other than that, you'd be hard-pressed to really, it's like one of these Roy Jones things when you got to really start looking back and maybe going to box acting and like, you know, when when was the last time that really someone got the best best of her in a round? And so she's really displaying this level of dominance in the ring. And so there's a comment that said, based on um, Shields' performance, she couldn't knock out this girl that's not at her level, laughing emoji. How's she going to beat Savannah Marshall? Now that comment, basically was echoed throughout Twitter and Instagram by so many people. And what I'm saying, Clarissa Shields does not have to have the power of a Gennady Golovkin of a Sergei Kovalev in his prime. She doesn't have to be the crusher. Now the thing is she's a talker. And so people equate, if you're going to talk, you got to have the power and the, the highlight reel knockouts to back it up. I disagree. She excels in boxing because of her athleticism, her technique, not her power. I mean, she's got two knockouts, but she'll box your socks off. You know what I mean? And last time I checked, you don't need a knockout to win a boxing fight. And so for people that are underestimating her boxing ability and think that she's going to lose to Savannah Marshall just based on the fact that she doesn't have the bigger uh, power punch, I think you're sorely mistaken and you're wrong. Uh, What we're going to see is high-level boxing. And I think Savannah Marshall is going to have to come up to that level to compete. You're not just going to come in, walk her down, and knock Clarissa Shields out. She would love to have, you know, and she's talked about it. She would love to have more pop. She would love to be able to display more knockouts. But for some people, it's just not, you know, in the cards. And so she's got a lot of other things that she can lean back on. And so I think that we're going to see the best of the best when it comes to Clarissa Shields' boxing, it's going to be a really good fight, but we can't write Clarissa Shields off simply because she doesn't have the power. Uh, what are your thoughts on that fight, how the Cozen fight went, and you know maybe what some of these things are being uh, written about Clarissa Shields now that we've seen consistently that she just does not have knockout power?
1: I agree with you. She showed her dominance and it's based on her athleticism and her technique. And it reminds me of the later days of Floyd Mayweather from 147 pounds and 154 pounds. He could no longer rely partly because he's always had skilled defense, but rely partly on his ability to stop and drop his opponents like he did at 135 pounds. And so Mayweather was still talking his talk. He was still provoking opponents at 147, 154 pounds as money Mayweather rather than pretty boy, uh, pretty boy Floyd. But he was still able to defeat people and still able to dominate them. And sometimes in fights where he was mostly on the defensive throughout the, the fight, I'm thinking about those battles against Marcos Maidana, where essentially he was on the back foot the entire fight and he was still able to dominate uh, with with his technique. And so we might see something similar with Claressa Shields, depending on what division she is. Um, and, and in this potential fight where, yes, she can't knock these people out, people won't expect her to knock these people out, but you can expect to see a dominant display of technique. Like with Floyd Mayweather, nobody was saying, hey, you know what, this fight against Maidana, this fight against Cotto, this fight against whoever at 147 and 54 is gonna end by Mayweather knocking him out. The right. safest bet was Mayweather UD. And we're gonna see that with Clarissa Shields in her
0: upcoming fights. And so in the main event of that card, like we briefly mentioned, Chris Eubank against Liam Williams. And so that fight had four knockdowns. Uh, Eubank dropped to Williams four times. And there was some talk after that one, not just what's next for Eubank uh, at that you know weight class. And he's been talking about he wants triple G and, and things like that. Another fighter threw his name in the hat, and I, I want to get your just quick impression on Conor Ben, who's a welterweight, saying, "I think I could compete with Chris Eubank at a catch weight." Uh, what do you think about that?
1: Obviously, his confidence must be really high, especially with his last performance against Chris Algieri. I mean, that was a one hitter quitter. I mm-hmm. think uh, maybe it was a one two shot or whatever, but he really put him out. Um, and so, I think that sometimes a fighter will see another fighter and say, "You know what?" I'm not that impressed with his ability. I'm not that impressed with his skill. I don't care if he has a size and a reach advantage. I think if you put me in the ring with him, I can beat him. And that's perhaps what we saw with Conor Ben looking at Chris Eubank. And of course, it's going to be a lucrative fight if it happens because there's so much um, it, there's so much background, right, with regard to how their parents fought and how perhaps many people didn't think that a potential fight between the sons would ever happen because of the difference in weight classes, but him just throwing out his name like that, I think shows a lot of potential and to
0: be really interesting to see. Right. And the social media eyes, you know, lit up when that happened. And so that's been the quotable passing around on Sunday now. And so in the other big card that we had uh, over the weekend on Saturday, we had Keith Thurman taking on Mario Barrios in a PBC on Fox pay-per-view main event in that fight, we saw Thurman returning after two years Uh, from the ring of inactivity and then barrios moving up in weight to welterweight and so thurman ended up taking a 12 round unanimous decision with scores of 117 to 111 and 118 to 110 twice gabe i want to get your opinion on this version of keith thurman that we saw Uh, there were a lot of um you know welterweight top 10 lists and things like that being passed around last night, not only on the telecast, but on social media. Um, Some people have Keith Thurman as high as, you know, five, as low as 10. What do you think of Keith Thurman based off of what we saw last night against Mario Barrios? Is he able, you think, to come back, be a champion, and really compete against the cream of the crop? And when I say the cream of the crop, I'm talking about the champs, guys like Terrence Crawford, Errol Spence Jr., and Jorden Ugás. There are a lot of things to consider and
1: wonder about with regard to Keith Thurman. Going into this fight against Mario Barrios, and especially after the injuries, especially after his performance against Manny Pacquiao, and of course, um, the time away from the ring, which we all know is very bad for any fighter to be away from the ring for so long. We saw a new version of Keith Thurman, but he does look inspired and reinvigorated he has a new hairstyle but he also has um it looks like he increased his muscular build he looked really strong his arms his six-pack he even said that he was inspired that he had done 800 sit-ups at one point that he'd been doing or had done 15 rounds of sparring and so it looks like we have a reinvigorated Keith Thurman it might be the second win with regard to his career he looked very aggressive in this fight He he was coming forward. Um, He did get hurt at one point with the shot to the body. And so that vulnerability with shots to the body, which we saw against Soto Caras, we saw against Luis Colazo, that's always going to raise some red flags, especially with guys like Terrence Crawford, who we know knows how to counter punch and throw punches to the body within the exchange that could really um, pose a threat and some damage to Keith Thurman. But insofar as... He is a top 10 welterweight. That's clear. Is he still in the conversation with Ugas and Errol Spence and with Terrence Crawford? Absolutely. I think that after his time away, you can't just write him off and then add his performance against Barrios. I think you can really see Keith Thurman continue to perform against these high level welterweights. I've mentioned before that I still can't put, well, Virgil Ortiz and Jerron Ennis within the same conversation as Ugas, Spence, Crawford and Thurman, simply because they haven't had the same opposition as those aforementioned fighters. And so we'll have to see more of them before you put them in a conversation with the rest. Um, And then also one thing I want to flag is the age. Um, Errol Spence is 31. Ugas is 35, Crawford is 34, Keith Thurman is 33, so he's kind of in between all this. And so you can raise a question and say, "Hey, is age a factor for Keith Thurman?" But
0: he's right up there around the same age as those top welterweights. I wanted to ask you about something that you mentioned off camera, uh, which I thought was interesting. I didn't know where Mario Barrio started because we're talking about um, a guy that's now moved up to 147. We know that uh, physically he's tall, he's got the reach, he had the reach advantage over Thurman, but. Is he really a 147 pounder? Um, what do we know about, you know, based on where he started, maybe how that affects how we view this victory um, of Keith Thurman over him?
1: For me, when people talk about weight class, power, size, it raises more questions than it does answers. We've seen people who can be very tall for a division and very big and not have that much power. We've also seen people who are very small, quote unquote, for a division and show devastating power. I'm thinking Javante Davis mm-hmm. at 140, who started at 130. I'm thinking of Mike Tyson, who, if we all remember, wasn't the tallest heavyweight, wasn't as tall as the rest of the heavyweights but was obviously bigger and and had devastating power. And so for me, it doesn't always translate to power when you're taller and when you have longer arms. And so the interesting cases with Mario Barrios, as we all know, I mean, I've been working with RBR boxing for a long time. I remember a few years ago, we were covering uh, a fight. I think it was Keith Thurman versus Robert Guerrero, which I covered live for RBR boxing in Vegas. And I think Mario Barrios fought on the undercard. And I remember seeing that he was at 122 pounds. Mm. So we're talking seven or eight years ago. And so he's developed into 140, 147 pounder. But how much of a welterweight and junior welterweight is he? Has that growth really translated into power and competitiveness in those divisions? Um, and so that remains to be seen. That is a variable that is an asterisk to consider with regard to Keith Thurman. Did he demonstrate a powerful performance against a solid junior welterweight or welterweight or someone who uh, moved up into that weight class and maybe never really developed into those weight classes? And then to compare to Javante Davis, that, not, that might not be uh, a fair comparison because some people may be shorter, and still have devastating power that can that can translate into competitiveness in other divisions. Sure, he didn't look as powerful as Javante Davis did at 140, but who does look as powerful as Javante Davis at at, at 135 and 140? So it you I don't know it doesn't look like you're comparing apples to apples because Keith Thurman never was. I mean, he he always had power at welterweight he was always considered one time but once he got to the top um those top fights against you know the top 10 or top five of the division it's not like he was putting these people to sleep whereas with Javante davis you can you can you can be rest assured that if he fights anybody at 130 135
0: or 140 he's going to hurt him and put him to sleep and people are expecting a knockout you know, my two cents on the Keith Thurman performance and victory. It was something good for his psyche. It was good to see him back, go 12 rounds and take a convincing victory uh, by decision. I at this point, and I think I mentioned this on a previous show that we did with uh, with Vlad. I'm not sure that I put him over jerron Ennis. I'm not sure I put him over uh, Virgil Ortiz. I think if we're talking about fantasy fights, those would be coronation fights for Ennis and Ortiz. I think definitely they beat him, and that would be a huge name on the resume for either one of those guys. Does it happen? No. Because Keith Thurman is not going to put himself in that position to be a stepping stone. He wants one of the champs. If he's going to lose and get you know ushered out of the 147-pound picture, it's going to be, you best believe it's going to be one of these guys, Ugas, uh, Crawford, Spence. Will it happen? I don't know. Um, You know, he said last night, I want the champions. Whoever's willing to to send Keith Thurman a contract, let's make it happen. Um, But you got potentially Spence and Ugas already locked in in for a title fight, a unification fight. Does he go right to Terrence Crawford? That's tough. That's really tough. Uh, Now, it's a mega fight. It's big, but I don't know that that, that's what uh, Keith Thurman is really looking for. And I think his best days are behind him. He may still be able to compete and he's obviously going to be a draw, but it's going to be really tough for him to climb that mountain once again. And not just because his contemporaries uh, are any younger, but you know, those guys are on their, you know, thirties, like you were mentioning, but you know, the new guard that's coming right behind they are they're ready, they're ready to go, man. So, um, and they're tough. So it's, it's a, Tough situation for him because obviously you know he's not going to be moving up to 154. I don't think that does him any you know justice uh, or do does him any good. So it really remains to be seen if he's going to really want to take on one of these tough 147 pound up and comers or jump right into a title fight with one of these champions.
1: And you can understand where he's coming from. I think there was one pre-fight interview where he was asked about Jaron Ennis. Obviously, he said positive things about him, but he said. Mm-hmm. But I think the mentality is he's already paid his dues. He's had he has been at the top level at welterweight. He only wants, like you said, to fight those top level fighters. And you can say, you know what? He deserves it. He's 33 years old. He's paid his dues. He's been a unified welterweight champion. Fair enough. And then he was asked and then he and then what he said was that after he has those belts, then if there's a Jerron Innes, then, of course, I'll defend those belts. But his mindset is let me get back to the top first. And then I'll face these young up and comers.
0: Yeah. And I think to be fair, you got to look at a little bit, you know, from the business side Uh, you have to be honest and you have to be fair to the fighter. If we're talking about like, this is a video game where we're building a career, you know, obviously we're like, yeah, we're, we're going to put our guy against the best guys. And it's just like, but they're not machines. You know what I mean? And there's, there's that um that money aspect that he wants to cash in on the biggest fights, the biggest opportunities, and the title opportunities, you know, against these big names. So now if he's able to get a Crawford, a Spence, a Ugas, or any of those guys, by all means, those are huge fights too. He's still interesting, at least in that um, you know, realm where you still want to see him compete against these other big names, um, whether he's able to really. Um, compete and win that's going to be something else that remains to be seen and to your point we may still need to see a little bit more he took the first step beating mario bars and and that's at least something good uh, if you're a keith thurman fan so looking um you know forward to next week we do have one fight card from the uk and that's daniel jacobs taking on john Ryder. that's going to be on zone. uh daniel jacobs you know, it's not uh, the same guy maybe as a couple of years ago. And you can look at the betting odds, only a small favorite over Ryder, which would have seemed unheard of uh, a couple of years ago, but, I think this is going to tell us a lot about Daniel Jacobs, where he's at now, and maybe what's going to be left for him in the future. Maybe it's, you know, at the end of the line for him, but I think he needs to convincingly be a John Ryder and, you know, we'll see what happens. We'll definitely talk about that. Anything you want to maybe add uh, on that um, Jacobs versus Ryder card? He
1: hasn't been that impressive at 168 pounds. Obviously, he's done a lot of great things at 160. He that hasn't been that impressive, but John Wright is going to be a good measuring stick to see where he is at that division because he's tough. He's strong. I mean, he gave Callum Smith hell. A lot of people felt that he won that fight. And so it's going to be really interesting to see where Danny Jacobs is and how he plays into the larger conversation in the super middleweight division against a guy he already fought in uh, Canelo Alvarez. So a lot of interesting things
0: uh, to come from that fight. We appreciate you joining us for Gabe Brevis. I'm Alex Burgos. Thanks for tuning into the RBR recap. Make sure to follow our new Instagram page at RBR recap. And we'll be back next week with some more content.